The office hours. It's David Meltzer here with Mike Momola and David Marino, my two joyous partners. Welcome here. And we have an unbelievable guest to start out early in the morning here. We can see him right there, straight out of Minnesota, CEO of MZ North America, the MZ Group.us. Uh, and it is Greg Falls Nick. Welcome to Office Hours. Hey, thanks for having me, David. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, a lot of people ignore investor relations. Uh, they merge it in with PR. They also merge it in with marketing. Um, and in order to make wise investments, in order to build a business, in order to raise money, you need to know three things, and they're all interrelated to IR. Uh, it's the market, the market makers, and the margins. Uh, and those are all created by the IR people. Uh, and it's probably the most and easiest quantifiable business uh, that gets ignored all the time. I see so many companies make the mistake of going with a marketing or PR firm. And I said, you don't want marketing and PR. That's not going to get you anything. What you need is IR. Can you explain the difference between marketing PR and IR? Yeah, I mean, you, you think about investor relations, our primary role is to communicate kind of key points of the story that, you know, investors maybe don't understand, right? So a lot of our, our work stems from kind of taking a deep dive initially, being able to understand kind of all the valuation metrics, all of, uh, you know, the valuation metrics of, of the comps and kind of what they're doing great and pull out the most relevant points and, and try to articulate that story in a way that really presents the company as it should be. So it's not promotion. It's not, um, you know, the next best thing since sliced bread. It's, it's really just, you know, our job is to find high quality companies and make sure that they're recognizing the right value. And, um, you know, we, I think we do that pretty well. Greg, that's interesting, and I'm glad Dave asked for the difference between IR and PR. To build on that point, what sort of companies would benefit from working with a company like MZ North America in terms of improving their investor relations strategy? Yeah, I mean, we're we're working with companies across in kind of you know small cap all the way to you know kind of your mid cap space, but you know ultimately we're looking for you know high quality companies with some sort of competitive moat. Um, we've been really strong in disruptive technology over the years. Um, and, and a lot of these companies that we're representing tend to have a higher quality management team. So explaining that, you know, you're not always betting on, you know, you're betting on the jockey and not the horse. Um, you know, that that's really kind of what we're looking for is some sort of differentiated company that maybe has a valuation gap. Maybe they're missing kind of some critical messaging in their IR program. And we come in and formulate a strategy around that and try to, you know, help uh, introduce investors and analysts. And, you know, these can be both retail and institutional. So, um, you know, we're open to ideas. But, you know, I think, you know, from our standpoint, it's always about doing the work up front and making sure that we can actually add value. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Good morning, Greg. Uh, hey, Good morning. In addition to all of the services that you provide, the one that stands out to me that, that I'm really interested in knowing more about is that I know you provide advisory service with regards to the new kid on the block, SPACs, right? And we saw this incredible uh, interest in SPACs and then it died down a bit. And now we're, they're back on, on you know stage, front and center. 
Can you help our audience understand what is a SPAC? What's SPAC stand for? And what are some of the advisory services that you provide for these incredible opportunities that SPACs allow for people? Yeah, I mean, uh, special purpose acquisition companies. I mean, these these have been around for many years. I think obviously they've come front and center over the last you know 18 months or so. And we have seen that market cool down just a little bit. Um, but, you know, basically these are blank check companies, you know, people going out and raising money and going out and looking for, you know, great new innovative businesses and, you know, being able to bring them public and make sure they're well funded and, uh, you know, there's a great management team behind it. So I think the space has gotten very crowded. Um, our, our entire focus here, um, is really investor relations for SPAC. So it's no different than all the other services we provide at MZ North America. Um, but, but the overarching goal is really to position the companies uh, that we represent in the best possible light, um, differentiate the management teams as, as thought leaders. Um, and then, and, you know, typically that leads to better investor participation and better access to deal flow. And Greg, you know, IR is for public and private companies. And a lot of people don't realize why private companies would need it. And I think there's three realms that I've dealt with IR that people ignore as well. One is just stimulating interest into investment. Uh, Two would be sharing the vision to close the investment. Uh, And then also, of course, uh, managing and developing the vision of those who have already invested. What percentage uh, do you work with private and public? And then where do you see the biggest emphasis in stimulating, sharing, or managing uh, that vision? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say probably 10% to 15% of our clients at any given time are, are private. And typically, these are companies that are, you know, gearing up towards, you know, an IPO. Um you know, if you think about kind of IR pre-public and, and post-public, the roles do change, but generally it's the same idea. It's, you know, like finding out kind of what are the most salient points of the business and, and going after those. And a lot of times it's simplifying. So we find that operators, especially in private companies, tend to be so deep in the technology and, you know, kind of need to understand that, hey, I, I want to be able to explain and three to five minutes to my mom, like why this is exciting, right? And the reality is I think people invest in what they know. Um, So, you know, things they feel comfortable talking about, um, if they feel they understand it, they're more apt to make an investment. And the world we operate in, call it sub 10 billion in market cap typically, Um, we have clients that are bigger, but, um, you know, a lot of these investors tend to be small cap generalists. Um, so, so that simplification process is, is ultimately very important. And then on the other end of it, it's, it's the thought leadership through financial media and good public relations work. So, you know, if you, you know, as we gear up towards the IPO, obviously we're helping with, you know, a lot of this, uh, this thought leadership, investor interactions for greater participation in the IPO. Um, and sometimes that can make the difference between a successful IPO and and one that that has failed and breaks deal price. So um, it, it's 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 sometimes the little things, and then you know, like I said, the, the housekeeping items, the you know, the getting the website up and running, have a having a deck, making sure that um, you know management is buttoned up on key questions that you know could be asked where where they get stumped. But 
I think we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and uh, we're pretty comfortable kind of navigating through that process. One thing I think that really goes across all sectors, and as a trial attorney, people always say, David, you're, you're so suave with your words. I said it has nothing to do with my words. It's because I know the facts better than anybody else. So I want to chat a little bit about MZ's, uh, North America's approach to market intelligence, data science, and why you guys, how you guys are using data science and uh, market intelligence to revolutionize the IR landscape. I think that's a really impressive and, and obviously important tool to have. Yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe take a step back and, and just kind of outline like MZ North America, we're the world's largest independently owned IR firm. Um, you know, we're advisors first. Um, so we try to think about, you know, what are what are best practices in IR? We do a lot of continuing education. Um, you know, we've represented several hundred companies over the last 24 years. Um, so IR consulting and outreach is definitely our bread and butter. Um, we've expanded into IPO advisory and SPAC advisory, um, as well as ESG um, advisory and software. But I think that that core advisory role has allowed us to be really strong in technology. So we do have sort of this one-stop shop solution that gets rounded out by some of the tech solutions you talked about, not just, you know, websites. We've done 1,800 of those, but like webcasts and conference calls, but sort of that that detailed market intelligence that you touched on. So within that area that's run out of our Chicago office, you know, we're doing a lot of shareholder comparison and Novo analysis to track the inflow and outflow of stocks. I mean, you know, ultimately you want your IR team to care about supply and demand. And, you know, if you can generate, call it a, a, a daily report, if you have some you know major drop or, or rise in the share price, and if it goes up 10% and there's no news, you want to have a pulse on like exactly what's moving that. So there's never a perfect answer in market intelligence, and anyone who does it will tell you that. But I think a lot of times you can get a soft circle around maybe who's selling the stock and and reach out to them and just have an honest conversation of have you had an update on the company in a little bit? Can I answer any questions you have? And sometimes that can actually stop that that trend down. Um, on the other end, if we see someone buying in heavy volume, we want to be in touch with them just like you would want to be in touch with any shareholder and understand why they're excited. Can you leverage their network? Are they are they willing to talk with you and talk to you about things they like, but kind of more importantly, things they don't like, right? How can we improve the IR program? So you know that that's where you know market intelligence is just like IR, it can be somewhat of an intangible, but I think it, you know, all of these little pieces that go into a successful IR program are, are ultimately things that people should be paying attention to. And and when, Greg, so we know now, obviously, a lot of what you do, but the when, when should that program be, be implemented? When people are, you know, they're listening to this now, when should they start thinking about this and say, hey, I need to reach out to MZ Group? I mean, anytime. Like, listen, I guess... From our standpoint, we're always willing to have a conversation. I, I think our, our firm kind of motto is, you know, you know, be, you know, be very open with our clients, touch base with them regularly, um, you know, be open with our shareholders, have those discussions on risk reward and, and where those milestones are. And 
and in our employees as well. Um, so, I mean, you know, ultimately we're always willing to take a look at something. Um, we'll commit to doing the work if it's something that, you know, we get through an initial conversation and we feel we can add value. And if we can't, we'll be honest about that and potentially recommend some other, you know, service providers who, who can help at the current stage and, and revisit that at a later date. So, um, you know, anyone who doesn't have a good successful IR program, if there's a valuation gap, if they're unhappy with their current messaging and, and feel they need to get out there a bit more, those are people we want to talk to. And I just have a last question for you. You know, <clears throat> I have my favorite question for IR guys that a lot of people uh, ignore, which is, you know, IR guys have, and women have the, uh, hand or finger on the pulse of our economy. I, I think they really get an idea on where the buying and selling is taking place and the momentum, you know, where we're at. So I'd love to know your perspective on, you know, what you see the strength of our economy right now uh, through the eyes of investor relations executive. Listen, I'm i I'm an old school fundamental guy. I think, you know, the winners will win big. And, uh, you know, I've always liked small cap just because, you know, that's where the opportunities lie. So uh, I gave up trying to predict the market several years ago um, when I was wrong. And, and we've seen this massive surge largely driven by retail. I think my biggest question really within this is, is does and if it does when does retail volume dry up? I mean, right now it accounts for 30 percent of the trades in the market, roughly according to Jeffries. And I mean, two years ago, it was, you know, 15%, right? So the, the surge in retail investors has really created a lot of volatility. You've seen it become more important in, you know, all of these mean stocks. You've seen it uh, across the SPAC landscape where a lot of the SPAC IPO investors are out and it's on to retail. So I think that's really the, the key that I'm looking at is, you know, kind of the trends in the retail community and being cognizant of that. Um, but in terms of, you know, deciding what else is driving that and where the market's going, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, uh, pass on that question. But the, the status and health of the economy, uh, one to 10. I, I mean, I, I'm going to give it a seven. It, all signs seem to be going. Okay. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll see what it looks like in, you know, 12 months, but you know, I'm, I'm fairly confident and still fully invested here. Me too. It's amazing what happens when you sink trillions of dollars into an economy, what can happen. So uh, it's great to have you on here. Thank you for the insight of investor relations, CEO of MZ North America, mzgroup.us, the great Greg Falls, Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Come back and enlighten us again. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Hey, thank you guys. We'll see you. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. <laughs> right on. All right, our next guest right on time, which is not always easy early in the morning here. We got Billy Libby, CEO of Upper 90, upper90.io. Um, and we're going to stay on uh, the, the note of uh, the great quantitative values of what's going on. And, um, you know, uh, Bill, you, you have great insight on, you know, the aggregation of quantitative analysis of, of what's going on in content and how it's applicable to, you know, all types of uh, different uh, businesses, but especially Amazon uh, and how we can, we were talking about the re re retail side of things. 
you know, how, number one, is content directly related, uh, you know, in the aggregation of content directly related to Amazon? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you. You know, it's, it, I wish it was that complicated and, you know, a lot of big words there. But I think what we're doing is pretty simple. And I think what you're describing is can be broken down. You have all of these small businesses that are now starting on Amazon and on Instagram and on YouTube. I mean, it's, it's like a golden age to be an entrepreneur. If the four of us wanted to go sell a whiteboard on Amazon, we could start a store in days. And I think of how amazing that is. I don't think Amazon gets the credit of like how easy it is to become a solopreneur. But the challenge is that once you become this small online business, you know, how do you get liquidity? You know, you can't sell your coffee shop to Dunkin' Donuts. You can't sell your sub shop. You, you know, there's not a way for you to get financing or for you to get capital to, to exit. And so I think what you're seeing are these really kind of next generation aggregators like Thrasio that are going and buying up and rolling up and providing liquidity to all these small businesses online. And, and really what ties it all together is data. You can look at each business's revenues and see how strong they are, which is, you know, 20 years ago, you have to go get someone's QuickBooks, you know, from the pizzeria. So I think data just changes the game of how these businesses will be financed. And that's kind of where upper 90s in the middle of that. William, I think I think that's great. Um, congrats on upper 90. I, I love the, the business model. Um, one thing that stood out to me on your website is, is the first phrase, it's not how much you raise, it's how much you own. And I think a lot of people get caught up when, when, when raising money to just get into the flow of raising, 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 that they look up and they have 2% of the company. I, I know Dave from <laughs> chatting with him a lot, you know, we're in these conversations, folks are like, all right, Dave, I'll give you 40% of, 40 of my company. Dave's like, I don't want 40% of your company. Right. right. Talk to us about the importance of retaining uh, the importance of retaining ownership and how you guide folks through raises in that regard. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, I think a lot of that DNA comes from my partner Jason Finger. He started Seamless, and the Seamless, you know, the food delivery business. Uh, he was very efficient about how much equity he raised. You know, he raised what he needed at that time to grow his business, and so his management team owned over fifty percent of Seamless when they sold the business. The Grubhub team, who they merged with, owned less than 10%. And it was the same business, the same intelligence, but one group got really focused on efficiency. The other one was fixated on, you know, how to get a private equity investor. And I think that, you know, it should be how much capital do you need? And if you, if you really take a step back, like insurance, you know, there's healthy people and there's unhealthy people. And every business has the same thing. If, you know, if you're spending a dollar on marketing you're expecting to make $2. Like you shouldn't use equity if you're doing a short-term measurable activity. Um, if you're buying inventory, you're expecting to sell that inventory. So I think that the earlier a founder can start thinking of how to segment their business into different parts, then they can start using credit and equity. And ultimately, you know, they have a lot more optionality about how to grow their business. Like I think the early investors and the founders should be making more than the later stage investors. And I think that that's been flipped and we're excited to attack that later stage investor, really. And Billy, I just want to touch on good morning. What you just said about the early stage investors uh, should should benefit more. Is that based on a risk versus reward exactly. uh, philosophy? And can you can you elaborate on that so that our, our audience can understand why that's important in your mind? Yeah, I mean, you know, like in life, the, you know, they always say, you know, higher risk, higher reward. And the people that are investing earliest, they're taking the most risk. 
But what happens is once the business becomes de-risked, you know, they got product market fit or they've gotten to profitability, the late stage growth investors, you're seeing all the tigers and these hedge funds and the big private equity firms, like as soon as everything gets stabilized, you know, they want to put as much money into the business as possible. So with Upper 90, what we said is like, look, if you can, you know, get financing from us, which is in the form of credit for like kind of the more healthy, predictable part of your business, then you'll just really need less equity in the future. And it gives the, the early investors and the founders just a lot more optionality versus like your goal in life shouldn't be to go and get like the biggest equity check you can. You know, and I think it's kind of resetting some of the values and, and goals. And Billy, um, you know, looking at all the different new categories of content aggregators, especially on Amazon, um, how is the interaction between the e-com aggregators and the content aggregator aggregators, um, you know, in, you know, the space that I'm in, in the creator space, how is that directly going to impact uh, the content aggregators and how's that relationship looking in the fourth quarter this year? I think it's a great question. So I think it's going to all come together. So, you know, five, 10 years ago, when you bought an ad on Facebook, as an e-commerce brand. I mean, that's the equivalent of paying rent to a mall 20 years ago. And so I always thought it was really funny when I was at Goldman, one of the biggest uh, marketing, profitable marketing techniques is to send people mailers. You know, which is crazy if you think about it. Like one of the most efficient ways to acquire a customer is to send them a pamphlet in the mail, you know, to get a mortgage or to get a loan. It's crazy, right? In this day and age. But it's because Facebook and Google ads have become so expensive that people are now trying to think of other ways to get customer eyeballs. And so I think the influencer space is very interesting to us because that's just a new marketing channel. You know, someone wearing your product or someone tweeting or, you know, Instagramming about your product. And so what we see is that, you know, our aggregators that we're backing are are rolling up a lot of products on Amazon. There's almost $9 billion that have come into that market. Um, And I think that the future will be selling these products off of Amazon. And to do that, I think you're going to have to be pairing with influencers. There's another company we backed recently called Main Factor that builds products that specifically tie to an influencer. So allowing an influencer to kind of build more of a brand and a catalog. So I think all of it comes together. And I think the tying theme is that, you know, it's all these new ways to be an entrepreneur, you know. But you still, if you have a YouTube channel and you have all this amazing followers like, and you want to hire, you know, 10 more content creators, you know, how do you go and get credit for your future revenue so you can hire people today? So it's like it's the same small business challenge. We say what's new is old, but I think all of it's going to really come together. And I think it's a really exciting time. But you need a new type of capital, I think, to fund these businesses because they're much more capital intensive. It doesn't it's not a venture capital business per se. Billy, your business is super interesting, but I'd be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity to ask you about this because yeah. you are that NCAA commercial, just like Dave is, just like myself. You know, we're all going to go professional. 95% is something other than sports. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of athletes that I coach and mentor, and Dave and Mike as well, a lot of them get so caught up in, well, I played football my whole life. I played basketball, soccer, et cetera. What do I do now? Can you just educate us a little bit? I know you played soccer at, at Penn. Yeah. And what about those experiences, that hard work you put in for all those years to play college sports helped you go to where you are today? And then secondarily, on your website, I see you subtly have 
a quote on a soccer field. And, and, and that's really cool because you can't leave that part of your life behind. So if you could touch on those two things, I think that'd be great. Yeah, it, it feels so long ago. Um, uh, I think one thing that's always benefited me is being around people that have different ideas and come from different backgrounds. And I, I think sports, you know, is an equalizer. Like if you're good at sports, I think you earn your spot in the field. And, you know, I think of the, where I came from, I was in finance for so much of my career, you know, and now I'm more in the venture world. And I, I think really being around people from different backgrounds and, and thinking differently has helped me kind of find these new opportunities. Um, is really one. And I think that, you know, people are willing to help you. Like, I think when I graduated from school, I don't know about you guys, like I, I didn't know that venture capital existed. You know, I didn't, I didn't really know that you could do a startup. I didn't know what private equity was like, you know, and so we're sitting here talking about like the, you know, the Amazon aggregators. Um, we had an intern, um, Owen Marshall, who's a great kid, graduated from Columbia, played sports. And he did a lot of research and said, you know, I'd love for you to introduce me to Thrasio. And so instead of going and saying, look, I need to go to a consulting or law or banking, I just think there's so many interesting kind of areas that are opening up. And I think use your network, you know, leverage the people, see where your friends are working out of school. Like, you know, don't just feel like you have to go and, you know, go to banking to go to business school. I just think that if I had learned earlier that like there was this whole technology world, I think. I wish I kind of got in, uh, more immersed in, in that world earlier. So I think it teaches you great values, but also learn from the people around you and don't be shy to kind of try to see what people are doing differently and, and, and ask and reach out and spend time with them. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, Billy. And I, I remember a quote that I, I stuck with me in law school. It said, today's descent is tomorrow's law. And we see so much of that, right? It's, uh, you know, with technology, the disruptors that say, hey, you're crazy. That's never going to work. And 10 years later, everybody's going, what is this Bitcoin worth $50,000 for? Right. Right. Th those kinds of things are happening. What other things do you see like that's just maybe blossoming now? Where are we headed? Because technology is moving so fast. What things are you most excited about in the next 6, 12, 18 months in this sector? Sure. So, you know, when we started Upper 90, the name is like the top corner of a soccer goal. You know, this like really impossible shot to hit niche. So we would find all these like really niche industries, um, you know, like rolling up stores on Amazon and rolling up stores on Shopify. I, I think what excites me the most, and I I'm not smart enough to figure this out, but I, I kind of see the trend is that everything we do is captured now with data. So if the four of us log onto Netflix, we each see a different home screen. When we go on Instagram, we each get different ads. And you know, right now, every startup raises the same dollar of equity. It's like every hammer, there's a nail. If you just think about it, like that's going to change. And so I think every business is going to be able to have data that lets them go and get financing. So like if you're a YouTube channel creator, if you're an influencer, you know, I bet you that, you know, we're seeing it now, like, you know, people that are athletes that can start factoring their future revenue. So I just think like everything is going to be able to be financed and traded not just public stocks. And that, I don't know if that's NFTs. I don't know if that's like crypto coins. Like, but I think people are ultimately going to be able to sell equity in themselves. Like, and I just think yeah. that data is going to kind of like make everything an asset. And Upper 90 wants to be the financing engine kind of in all these new areas. Well, you nailed it. It's already happening in the sports and entertainment world that equity is being sold. 
into athletes and entertainers. So uh, yeah. that trend uh, has already moved uh, towards that. And you're, you're right on it. Uh, really, everyone can find you at upper90.io. His yes. hand and pulse. Uh, thank you so much for the insight. I think Thanks uh, for having we definitely me. want to have you on more, more, more of our shows and get more insight because uh, you are on the cutting edge of something huge. And as a we really appreciate it, creator myself, I am uh, building as much community and data as I can, uh, even though I'm a middle aged mutant turtle compared to some of these <laughs> TikTokers. But uh, we're doing all right, Billy. Come back and visit us. Thank you so Wonderful. much. Wonderful. Thank you guys for doing great stuff. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank awesome. you, Billy. All righty. I know we lost D Marino. I'm sure. Oh, there he is. I thought there was a He's baby. Like the zoo. You mentioned his name. And his yes. Nice. There was a baby oh. emergency. Hey, we hey. got the guest star. All right, we'll get, <laughs> we'll get her on here for an interview as soon as she knows that. Dad. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, <clears throat> excuse me. I got a morning frog in my throat. Don Roseman is here, CEO and founder of At Rain, and she is a partner diversity partner at. Barnes and Thornburg, and we'd love to talk about your new podcast. I know, I know a thing or two about podcasts and uh, standing in the rain. Yeah, E I G N. Give me a little bit of background. You know, everyone uh, is jumping on board, sharing their great ideas, inspiration, aspiration. Uh, what's the premise of standing in the rain? Well, good morning, first, David and and Mike and and David. Um, so glad to be here. Uh, so so standing in the rain is just one uh, more way for me to uh, spread what I believe to be a truth about all of us that we were created to rain. I like to walk around and tell people like greatness is hard right into your DNA and. If you get around me long enough, if you let me hang around me long enough, I can unlock it. And so, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, I created the podcast Standing in the Rain because I wanted to have an opportunity to, 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 one, bring together all the great people I have the privilege in my, my, in my I've had the privilege of meeting in my life, bring them, bring them to the people, to, to, to the people so that they can share with them, share their excellence and we can grow. I, I really you know, I say this, that rain's a team sport. And so I created Standing in the Rain so that we could, uh, in essence, vibe together and 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 we, we talk around raindrops, what I call them, R-E-I-G-N, raindrops, and uh, every, every episode and just really try to dig in and unpack um, the things that are barriers to us, I guess, I think living on our highest, our, living at our summit, if that makes sense. Yeah, plateau and grow. Yeah, yeah. So no, and I love it. And you speak my language in so <laughs> many different ways. I'm also a partner at an AmLaw 200 firm. Awesome. Uh, and one thing that I tell younger associates, especially minority associates, is I didn't grow up with a platinum Rolodex, just like yeah. my, my two friends and business partners, Dave and Mike, didn't as, as well. And a lot of what I've done and built has been through my own work, my own mentors. And I've had to think outside the box to generate contacts and to see another lawyer, a partner, you know, working on other businesses that can help flow and advance their visibility and their, their network. Uh, and, you know, it's going to have a byproduct in terms of benefiting their business. Talk to me about being a, a young lawyer and the decision to, to create this secondary business and how the podcast helps feed the main thing, right? So, 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 you know, for me, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer all, all my life. Dave and Dave, we share that. Dave, we're all, I guess there's three lawyers on the phone. My gosh, on the call. Four. Yeah. Oh, right. my. 
That's crazy. Uh, so, We're all recovering lawyers, but all reco- me, yeah, me too. So, so um, I um, I've always wanted to be a lawyer, but you know, for me, you know, while I I know that it was it was there was purpose in me becoming me, me joining this profession. Really, rain, standing in the rain, the podcast, my books, everything. Really, I wasn't necessarily setting out, David, to create a business. I was, uh, I was trying to heal first. I really was. I was trying to heal first, and you know that. I mean, you know, I didn't know who I was. I didn't, I didn't know what I was worth. I was able to accomplish a lot. I say this a lot. You can be highly accomplished and highly broken all at the same time. That was me. And so even though I had achieved all these things that I'm really proud of and I'm really grateful for and I'm, I, you know, and becoming a partner in Amwell 100 Firm, all that stuff, I just knew there was more for me. And I wanted to pursue that more. I needed to come up higher for myself. And then once I uh, got turned on to who I was and more than anything, the power of knowing who you are, all I wanted to do then was free other people. That I just wanted to free other people. So I created it. And so it's turned into, and I'm certainly growing it to become now um, 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 certainly a, it's a business and there's all kinds of iterations of how I spread rain, I like to say. But I really just was trying to share what worked for me and, and what helped me show up for myself in all the spaces that I'm privileged to occupy. That's really what. So that's what I tell young lawyers. You got to figure out, you got to know who you are. You got to know who you are. It changes absolutely everything. And I, I absolutely love that, Dawn. Good morning. And Good morning. that resonates, resonates deeply with me. I went through that epiphany or whatever you want to call it, that aha moment years ago and it transformed my life. And I, I love everything that you're doing. So congratulations. I can't wait to listen to the podcast. Thank you. And I have a, a two-part question. One, I'd like to know a little more. I think you have, is it October 15th? You have your yes. ring table mastermind. So I'd like to know a little bit about that. And then secondarily, just I think what you just said um, was so powerful. I'd like to know a little more about that in terms of wanting to heal yourself and now heal others. I think uh, I, I love what you're doing with the, your last name and the play on words with rain and sitting in the rain and rain table. I'm going to throw one more at you if you, if you wanted it's yours, but um, no rainbow without rain. Right. I like and, it. <laughs> and, 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 and so how how open are we expecting or hoping people to be because there has to be this vulnerability to, to discuss on a podcast that pain um, that people are going through. But how powerful is it once they do that to get to the point where you are, where, where you essentially heal yourself and then want to help heal others and get to that rainbow? Yeah. So, so can I take that? Thank you, Mike, for those questions. If I can get, take the last yeah. one first, if I can, and fix me if I mess it up. But in, 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 in terms of of, you know, just that journey and trying to heal myself. When I say I didn't know who I was, I mean that. All I thought uh, was great about me is, is, is that I was, I was smart. And the only reason I even had the audacity to think that is because I had some external validation, right? I got some good grades. I got into law school. I graduated. I got, I passed the bar. So that stuff tells you you're smart, that you're, you know, it got the job, if you will. I became the partner, but I had no idea uh, that I belonged in the room. I had no idea. And it was, it was probably about now. Um, my gosh, the, the book, the, the line keeps changing for me roughly around 12 or so years ago, maybe a little more than that was sitting in a, a at the end of a service. And uh, my pastor was just talking and he made this comment. He's like, you know, you'll never rise any higher than your level of thinking about yourself. And I, that's not that that's terribly profound, but in that moment it was profound to me and it exploded. And then I had the audacity to ask myself like, Hey Dawn, what do you think of you? And my answer was, 
not very much. And I realized I just didn't like me that much. And I didn't understand it because I had a lot of stuff on my wall. I had a lot of ink. I had a lot of awards, a lot of, you know, I had money. And, and, and but I'm like, I don't get that. How is that possible? But it's, it's like I said, it's really, really possible to achieve a bunch of stuff and really have a whole mindset that's less than. And so I had to set about to try and fix that because I couldn't stay there. I was miserable. I would, nobody really knew it because nobody really sticks around to ask you how you're doing. They ask you, did you get the job done? Did you finish the project? Did you meet your quotas? All that stuff. But they don't really ask you, are you whole? And so I had to deal with the stuff and try to figure out what was going on with me. And once I did, and that took a, that's a journey, that's a longer conversation, but that's a journey of studying, a lot of crying, a lot of praying, a lot of talking, a lot of, a lot of reading, following people like you, Dave, I mean, just looking at, just trying to just understand like what's going on with me. And once I got a hold of this reality and I got, I love words, got a hold of this word rain, uh, which means to overcome, to dominate, to superabound, to ascend, to win the essence of win, to sway, to have influence, to wear a crown. I was like, that's so hot. And so I just wanted to like, I just wanted to tell everybody. So every time I got a chance to talk, people would ask me like Dawn, the lawyer, come talk to us about X. I'm like, that's fine. But what I'm going to talk to you about is that you were created to reign. Because I believe that that for me was the linchpin for everything. This dawn doesn't exist if I don't have that revelation. And so when you come on standing in the rain, anything for me, yeah, I, I need you to be vulnerable. I, I, authenticity is everything for me. And I would never hurt the people that have given me the blessing of their time by putting someone in front of them that's just going to try to hype them up. I want to talk about some real stuff so they can go back into their spaces whether they're at school or work or whatever, and they can really, really just show off that they can walk understanding that they're royalty. And so the mastermind, Mike, that you asked about on October 15th and 16th, is just me. I crave getting my hands on uh, on people so that I can talk to them about this and we can unpack this. And so the mastermind is my, my offering in that regard. Two days with me in person, uh, sitting down, we're at this uh, signature five-star hotel in my hometown, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna unpack some stuff. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna unpack some things and and try to get through and break through the barriers that are impeding people standing in their rightful positioning. Rain's not height. Rain is about positioning, and you got to be in your rightful positioning. Whether David, you're talking about an associate who's joining this crazy profession we we're a part of, or whatever they're doing. You got to know where you got to know you belong in the room. And so the mastermind is, is a two day deep dive, uh, 10 seats at the table. Still got some seats left and just want people to to come and sit down and be willing to go there so we can get we can. You know, my, my friend says I'm a superhero on a mission uh, um, going around the world seeking to eradicate the world of self-hate. I told her I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that. That's what we're doing. I'll take that as well. And I share your journey uh, in the journey from ignorant arrogance to ignorant humility. Yeah. Uh, and part of the ignorant humility is that uh, reigning uh, is not a, a one-time feat. You know, I, right. I was with Michael Phelps last week and I just couldn't believe when he was saying how hard he worked to get those medals, 28 medals, by the way. And even after he won eight medals in one Olympics, he was back in the pool on Monday. Yeah. Um, and I think being back in the pool is something uh, as I have gone through the same journey as you from ignorant arrogance to ignorant humility, that I'm constantly taking inventory of who I am, constantly utilizing the law of gravity to say I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm at the right place at the perfect time. 
but I need to institute the law of Goya, which all four of us on the screen do very well, or we wouldn't be where we're at, which is getting off our ass and making things happen. But the counterintuitive approach of letting it rain and maintaining the rain uh, is, is I think your next book, maintaining the rain, because you just keep accelerating, growing, and and com- compounding all the beautiful interests that you are putting out there. It's the law of allowance, and you know I was hoping that you could help explain to people how you maintain the rain and reconcile the law of gravity, knowing that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. The law of Goya, that consistent, persistent, badass woman that you are, with the spiritual, I call it the ferocious Buddha, allowing things to happen, even though we're as ferocious as they come. How have you reconciled all three of those laws of the universe? Wow. Wow. So first I'm going to take maintain the rain, David. And, 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 and yeah, I'm going to make sure I give the, a shout out, shout you out in, 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 in the cover. Um, my gosh, God, goodness, that's a great question. You know, it's an everyday. I need people to understand rain's a journey. Um, what you're saying, rain is a journey. I have not arrived. I need people to understand I am on it with you, um, I'm not, you know, and, and I have, you know, I, I get after it every day, every day. I keep my words in front of me. I, like I said, authenticity is everything. So I don't put anything out that I am not willing and, and working to walk through. I tell myself every day that I'm enough. You have to separate your feelings from, from, from truth. You have to understand that they're, they're distinct, that, that, that fe- I would say like feelings track comfort not truth. And so I have to remind myself when I say things like rain means to overcome, dominate, superbound, all those things, I literally unpack what those words mean. And then I ask myself, am I, I I triage myself pretty much every day and ask myself, are you living this out, Dawn? You cannot walk around and, and, and say these things and not be willing to go through it. Rain is, you know, people ask me sometimes like, what does it cost you? It literally will cost you everything to, 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 to walk in your summit, to walk in your highest purpose, your highest self. It costs you everything, but it, it, it's, it's the best time of my life. So I literally uh, purpose every day to show up for myself when it's good, when it's bad, when I'm crying when it's hard and sometimes you know i mean not just in the legal profession but certainly in the legal profession it's been hard as hell uh when nobody shows up when they're cheering when they're not rain is not dependent on any of these things and so i my you know i try very much so to to make sure i am living what i'm saying and that's an active you know rain's an active word and so i really really uh um you know make sure I spend time um, uh, working on that every day. And I spend a lot of time. I mean, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this for me. I mean, you know, and everybody has their own belief system, but I, I spend a lot of time with God. That's, you know, that, you know, I do, I just do. I spend a lot of time with God and, and, and just letting him talk to me and stop running my mouth so I can hear the instructions for the day. You know, and then know how to execute and 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 take advantage of them. So it's just you've got to show up. You've got to decide. I tell people all the time, especially when I talk to young people. I love that you asked that about young lawyers, uh, David. But I tell them all the time, you have to be willing to show up and be amazing every day. Not perfect, amazing. Which to me means I this is I, everything that I have in me. I have given it out to the best of my ability to you today. I, whether you like it or not is on you. 
but I've given the best of me out today and I'll do it again tomorrow. I've, I've shown up and everything, my amazingness to the extent of it, I have laid it out. I've laid it out. I mean, sports, I put it out on the field. And so, so that's what I, I hold myself to every day. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to stay on this journey because I don't have a plan B. Well, I'm going to shift your paradigm a little bit. There is no cost uh, in that that mission of yours. It's only an investment in yourself. Knowing quite simply, I am healthy, I am happy, I am wealthy, and I am worthy. I shifted the paradigm long ago to figure out what I'm doing through my faith to interfere with my health, my happiness, my wealth, and my worthiness. And let's put everybody else into the rain and let them rain and let it all shout out to one another. I Appreciate you. I'm going to be in Indiana uh, next week. I got a couple places down in Bloomington. I'm going to do a meetup uh, down at IU. Awesome. If you, I know it's a long drive from Fort Wayne, but if you are around in the South, come visit me. I'd love to see you in person. The incredible Don Roseman. She will teach you how to let it rain every day. May you rain your own life. Be happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy. Let's all figure out what we're doing to interfere with it. God bless you, Don. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Don. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, Thanks Don. For bringing the rain. All right, gentlemen. I can't finish any stronger than that. I love her. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, all right, boys. Mikey Mamula, since uh, you're the cleanup hitter, I'm going to let you lead off for the takeaway of the day. Yeah. Look, what's, uh, you know, what Billy said, what's old is new. And then Dawn, what she said, I absolutely loved everything that she said. And we, we, you know, you you look back at what all three of the guests reminded us of today and it's data, it's details, it's all there. You know, life is throwing at us uh, opportunities to see what we are or what we're supposed to be, what our businesses can be, if we're willing to pay attention to the signals and the signs, and we're able to capture that data, that information, and really just take a moment to, like Dawn said, you know, connect with whatever it is that's important to you to make you stop for a minute and figure out how you can use those signs or symbols of introductions and opportunities to improve your business, to improve your life. Amazing. Yeah. And sorry for having my co-star here today, guys. I got one question about your co-star. How is it that, you know, at one month old, she's, she's bigger than my three daughters at three months. <laughs> you know, today she's actually one month today. I know I, yeah. I got my mathematician. There you go. I know you are. Well, first off, my first takeaway was going to be Office Hours with David Meltzer um, promoting the show today. But the second one, and and, and equally as important, is Surrender. Um, live your purpose, right? Dave, thank you so much for recommending Surrender Experiment some years ago. And, and Dawn is a living example of that. You know, she worked at a law- as a lawyer that didn't define her. She realized she had a, a higher calling to do more, and she lived her purpose. And I love the way Keaton put in the comments, no rain, no gain. <laughs> no rain, that sounds like a Keaton line for sure. <laughs> We're giving Dawn all kinds of good ones today. She'll be, uh, her, her next books, they'll be loaded with great titles and subtitles. Um, you know, it's interesting with uh, all the data uh, that was there. I, I think the biggest takeaway for the day is, you know, we don't know what we don't know. Uh, so we shouldn't look at what we don't want, what's missing or what other people want for us. And I think, you know, as you looked at Greg, so many people will tell you, you know, what is the truth? And there is no truth unless it's aligned with your timing and your risk tolerance. And you look at Billy, who obviously is a Ivy leaguer, an athlete, someone who consistently, persistently pursues his potential and 
once again, you know, in the creator and aggregator space, we don't know what we don't know. There's tons of data, uh, but I would say and focus inward into the meaning that you give it and the timing that you have and the risk tolerance that you have. Um, and then finally, Don, I think, brought the rain and closed, you know, the point with the word faith. <clears throat> because as you determine your timing and risk tolerance, you got to have faith uh, that each of the times you make the mistake, the struggles, the pain, the setbacks, that you weren't aligned with synergistic or supplementary to the timing and risk tolerance that you determine is best for you, that something better is coming, that it will realign, re-engineer, and repurpose itself into something better for you. And if you focus in on what you want, I guarantee that's what will happen. But if you focus in on what you don't want, what's missing, or what other people want for you, it'll never happen. Uh, I really appreciate both of you, especially our guest star. Please give her a big, big kiss for me. I can't wait to see her in person. I'll be going to New York. We have Clubhouse this morning, 6 a.m. Training at 11 a.m. Pacific time is uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, I don't think enough people are exploring the unbelievable opportunities. Office Hours with David Meltzer is the same day as the two-day Mastermind event, October 15th on Amazon Prime Video and Bloomberg Television. The first late-night entrepreneur show with Cameron Diaz, Saad Guru, Paula Ono, Rob Deerdeck. The list goes on. There's so many. There were 72 people uh, in the series, star-studded, that, you know, when I was uh, going through the, the release of all 12 episodes, <clears throat> I forgot half of the people. I was like, oh, my gosh, I forgot, you know, <laughs> holy moly, there's some superstars on there uh, and some great conversation that we have and great lessons. So everybody join us on Office Hours. In about 10 minutes, we'll be on Clubhouse. Uh, Clubhouse today, I'm going to do takeaway of the day. So hopefully you guys uh, can join me and get the party started with your takeaways of the week or day or month or year. Everybody, let's take the lessons from John. Let's join her in making it rain and raining in our lives. Uh, maintain the rain. No rain, no gain. Anything else you can think of, boys, but uh, it was great seeing you. Thank you, man. Thank Happy you. Friday, boys. Happy, I'll see you guys soon. All right, that's it. It's Office Hours with David Meltzer, david at dmeltzer.com. If you want my book, ebook, audio book, you want me to sign a book, send it to you, pay for the shipping and the book, it's not a problem. Just reach out to me, david at dmeltzer.com. Clubhouse, 6 a.m. Pacific time. Join me on the Breakfast of Champions. 11 a.m. Pacific time. Training is entrepreneurship. How to make money off of these big companies and still have the freedom of an entrepreneur. Are you kidding me? Yes, you can do it. You can let it rain. You don't have to do it on your own and risk it all anymore. Thank goodness for the change. All right, everyone. Most importantly, remember, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you in about 10 minutes. Thanks.